Welcome back to another episode of The Jacob Johnston Show. There is no special announcements or show notes up front, so let's go ahead and dive on in. In a stunning move, YouTube has decided that it is going to disable or it's going to hide the dislike button from the audio. That's right. They're going to go ahead and they're going to remove any information about people doing the thumbs down on any particular video across its entire platform. Now, of course, they try to go off and say this is to help the small content creators whose content is getting crushed by the dislike button and preventing them from being able to grow. Now, this explanation is complete bullcrap. The truth is, liberal content keeps getting thumbs down, keeps getting the dislike button smashed on their channels because people don't like their content. People find out what the left is saying and saying, hey, this is complete bullcrap and hitting the thumbs down. This is especially true when it comes to the videos produced out of the White House regarding Joe Biden or things that his administration is doing. Or, of course, liberal media content such as The View, uh, CNN, NBC, ABC. See, they need to be able to go off and create a narrative for the left. They need to create the narrative that the majority of the country actually agrees with them, when in reality, it doesn't. That the majority of the country support left-wing ideology and views, when it doesn't. Now, when they go off and they try to make that claim, and yet you see the like to dislike ratio and find out that the dislike vastly outnumbers the likes, it kind of breaks down their narrative that they have a mandate, that they are in the majority view, and so on and so forth. So in order to be able to keep the illusion that liberal ideology is popular, they have to take away and remove anything that counters that illusion, such as the dislike button. Now, when it comes down to it, Removing the dislike button isn't the only thing the tech companies and search engines are doing in order to try and create a false sense of reality. They also go off and they try to center out in the search results any content that debunks the left's narrative. And nothing is more stunning and highlights this than when you try to go through and take a look at the search results for the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Now, for instance, if you were to go on Facebook, and when I saw this article, I wasn't sure whether or not to believe it, even though it was coming from a credible source, but I tried it myself and it turned out to be true. So Facebook users are unable to find results when searching for Kyle Rittenhouse. Now think about this. There's a major trial that is going on and it has a lot of interest and a lot of people are mocking the prosecutor because the prosecutor has no case. And is just trying to throw a bunch of crap up against the wall, see if anything sticks, and it ends up landing right on his face. So I went to Facebook and I tried searching for Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, to take a look at what articles are being written, what videos. Is there even a live stream on Facebook of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial? And nothing came up. The search results came up and said nothing. You know, there are no search results. So you got the tech companies that are going off and trying to censor as much as possible any information regarding the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. And then if you try to go through and search it on Google, what are you going to get? You're going to get only left-wing media sources. Of course, the left tries to go, well, we want to go, uh, when it comes to the news, we want to make sure that we put credible news sources at the top, credible news sources. And yet, when I take a look at the search results on Google for news stories, those credible news sources tend to be the outlets that get caught repeatedly lying to us. 
get caught repeatedly on video bragging about how they lie to us. See, they want to go off and they want to make this claim that it's all about making sure that they counter disinformation, when in reality, they are manipulating search results to push disinformation, to push propaganda onto the people. And of course, when it comes to the Kyle Rittenhouse case, part of the censorship that is going on is one, to try and protect the reputation of a discredited media and trying to prevent people from realizing that the evidence and the testimony that has come out at trial has completely debunked the entire left-wing media complex narrative. So they're trying to protect the media from getting exposed as, once again, pushing misinformation and lies. And yet we have the nominee for the FCC going off talking about how they want to get rid of Fox News, calling Fox News a danger to democracy and and lies to uh, their audience and such, when Fox News is the one that has gotten, like almost every situation, the issue with Kyle Rittenhouse correct. So if the FCC really wanted to combat dangers to democracy, such as a media purposely lying to its audience in order to booster uh, their own ratings, a media that is pushing lies in order to falsely prosecute and convict, innocent people and send them to jail, then you would remove CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS, and all the other alphabet network. You wouldn't remove the one network that has a high integrity rate. I'm not saying they get everything right over there at Fox News. I know they do have their political spin, but the dangerous to democracy is not the outlet that has the highest accuracy rate in its reporting, such as Fox News. You would go after the outlets that have the lowest accuracy rate. But of course, when they go off and they try to say, you know, that they want to remove disinformation, what they're really saying is we want to remove any inconvenient facts that debunks left wing narrative. Now, even though the evidence that has come out at trial and the testimony that has come out at trial has debunked the left's narrative, they're still to some degree trying to push as hard as possible to maintain the false narrative that they have created. Over there at CBS, ABC, NBC, CNN, and they're also trying to shift the focus and distract their audience from the evidence and testimony and trying to go after the judge. And in some respects, they've had to, because they have no choice, walk back some of their prior false claims and misinformation. But to the extent that they think they can get away with it, they are still trying to push the propaganda and misinformation, and it is sickening. Right, there's no doubt about it. It is absolutely sickening what they are doing. And so let's go ahead and take a look at some of the media's narrative and what it is that they are trying desperately to hold on to and trying to justify their prior disgraceful and inaccurate description of the events in Kenosha. So let's go to the first clip. Yeah, uh, and that trial continues today, Amory, in Wisconsin. After what you call the dramatic day in court yesterday, the 18-year-old uh, is on trial for killing two people and injuring another at a Black Lives Matter protest in August of last year. As you say, Amory, he became overwhelmed at one point while testifying yesterday, telling the jury that the shootings were done in self-defense. Now Rittenhouse's lawyers are calling for a mistrial after they say the prosecution crossed the line while questioning the defendant. The judge also rebuked the prosecutor's tactics. Now, if you didn't catch it, if you didn't catch it, you may be looking at that clip going, hmm, what's so wrong with that clip? What is the issue with that clip that shows that the media is engaged 
and promoting propaganda and disinformation. Because the media is very good at using subtlety in some respect in order to manipulate your uh, thoughts and opinions. And so when it goes off there, they had to go off and try and say, Black Lives Matter protest. He went to a Black Lives Matter protest with a gun. Oh, who goes to a protest with a gun except for somebody who would want to try and shoot protesters? I mean, that is, that is why they are trying to go off and say that it's a protest. Also, to try and cover for the fact that throughout 2020, they tried covering uh, all these violent riots and acts of domestic terrorism as protests. So they got to try and keep and maintain the illusion that what was going on in Kenosha, as well as around the rest of the country, was protest, you know, First Amendment protected speech, when that narrative is a complete and total lie. And they also have to go off and try and, you know, use the Black Lives Matter protest, because the narrative is, oh, there was a protest about, you know, um, a police uh, shooting that involved the black man. And this kid, this kid, went to a protest armed, looking for a fight, looking for an excuse to shoot down protesters. You understand that's what they are trying to insinuate as they go off and try and keep insisting that what happened in Kenosha was a protest. Now, we, having any IQ you know, above 15, know that it wasn't a protest. Right? I mean, the, the only people who believe that what was going on was a protest have to have an IQ lower than 15. Because first off, a protest doesn't involve rioting, vandalism, and arson. Those do not typically make up what a protest is. It definitely doesn't fit within the definition of peacefully assemble to protest or to address grievances. Now, when I think of protest, I do not think of vandalism, looting, and arson. Do you? Do you look at those actions and think, oh, there's a protest going on? No. And so they try to create this narrative that, oh, he crossed state lines with a gun to go to a Black Lives Matter protest because he wanted to shoot down protesters. Oh, because he must be some sort of white supremacist. No. I mean, yes, he crossed state lines. But that's because his mother lives on one side of the state line and his father lives on the other side of the state line, along with other family members. So he has family in the community. He works in the community. He didn't transport the gun across state lines. And it wasn't a protest. He was, we see videos of him from earlier in that day removing graffiti. And then we saw videos of him putting out fires started by the, by violent rioters. And it was because he was removing graffiti, because he was putting out fires, that the rioters attacked him, forcing him to defend himself. And the rioters themselves were armed. So let's see here. You live in a community, you know, if you're staying at your dad's and staying at a friend's in the town that your dad lives in, there are riots going on, people setting buildings on fire, and the rioters are armed. Geez, I wonder why you may feel the need to be armed yourself in that situation. And then he goes out and he tries to remove graffiti. He's trying to undo the damage that rioters are doing to his community. Yes, it was, he was part of the community. Unbelievable. So they need to create this 
narrative, create this illusion about it being a protest and that he went armed to a protest rather than the fact that he was trying to defend himself and his community from violent rioters and arsonists. And to give you an indication about the Black Lives Matter movement, because it is a violent racist movement, Black Lives Matter is, and it's really disgusting how many corporations and organizations around the world have decided to promote and endorse violent racists by supporting Black Lives Matter. You know, and so we go off here and we see about the results of the election in New York City. The new New York City mayor has come out and he said he's going to be conservative on crime, give the police the ability to actually do their job. And Black Lives Matter does not like that. In fact, Black Lives Matter has promised bloodshed in New York if anti-crime police units return. And the article from Hot Air reads, incoming New York City Mayor Eric Adams has promised that he will be conservative on crime and restore the New York Police Department's ability to maintain law and order. That announcement came as welcome news to many residents and business owners of, of the area, you know, of New York City who have been hunkering down during one of the worst spikes in violent crimes that the city has seen since the early 90s. But as it turns out, not everyone was happy about the announcement. The local chapter of Black Lives Matter is apparently outraged at the thought of the return of the major crimes unit of the New York Police Department that was disbanded under Bill de Blasio as part of his efforts to defund or abolish the police. Imagine that a violent racist organization being unhappy about the thought that the police department will be allowed to actually arrest them if they continue to engage in violent crime. I mean, they don't like the idea of people telling them, no, you cannot be violent and just attack people because you disagree with them or you don't like the color of their skin. All right. So the co-founder of the local Black Lives Matter chapter wasn't mincing words yesterday when he promised that if Adams brought back the special anti-crime units, that there would be riots, fires, and bloodshed. Oh yeah, but the media, they'll go off and just claim, oh, it's just a mostly peaceful protest. That's Black Lives Matter. That was what was going on in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and the situation that Kyle Rittenhouse found himself in. Violent, rioting, looting, and arsonists. And the media wants to praise the arsonists as protesters. Sickening. But but in some respects, the media has to go off and acknowledge some of the undeniable evidence and testimony that has come out, as well as the fact that everyone looking at this prosecutor is wondering how the hell this guy ever became a prosecutor being this inept, this incompetent, and also this disgraceful. I mean, the prosecutor's conduct has just been a total disgrace. You know, he has crossed the line repeatedly in this case. But of course, what else can he do? He has no case. He has no evidence to back up the narrative. He has no witnesses that can actually go through and back up. All the witnesses that he called were testifying to things like, no, no, it wasn't until I pulled the gun out and uh, started charging at Rittenhouse that he shot me in the arm. And other witnesses uh, on the stand admitting that uh, the prosecutors, you know, the in the case pressured him to change his testimony 
You know, it, it's just been a complete disgrace. So when people are watching the trial and watching the news coverage, there is a huge disconnect between what the liberal media is saying and what's actually happening in the courtroom. So the media has to try and find a way to spin it, you know, to try and maintain some level of credibility, although very little, with those who are watching the trial, while also trying to take advantage of those who don't have time to watch the full trial and trying to find a way to spin it and try to maintain some semblance of credibility after finding out that their entire narrative of the situation was a lie. So here is a little bit of the coverage, and this is coming from CBSN, right? Just like the first clip was from CBSN, if I didn't say that uh, to start off with. So CBSN trying to defend their narrative. Clip number two, go. So Kyle Rittenhouse's defense is calling on several more witnesses today. How do you think these witnesses will fare in their efforts to bolster the defense's argument of self-defense, not just once, but three times that Rittenhouse fired his gun, killing two people and injuring another, especially considered there were many people armed on the streets that night and none of them discharged their weapons? Right. I, I think, frankly, that this case was over when Rittenhouse testified, and I think the jury made its decision at that point. Now, that's not to say that these experts and other witnesses are not important, but I think it comes down to whether or not the jury believes Kyle Rittenhouse about his state of mind. As you were, as you were mentioning, the prosecution introduced some evidence that made that claim implausible. You know, I will never be ceased to be amazed about how much dishonesty the media can pack in such a short clip. So let's kind of break this down here for just a little bit. Now, first of all, they're trying to go off and say that because three people had died, that it was three instances of self-defense. And they're trying to push that to try and make it seem like the claim of self-defense is bogus because you had to defend yourself three separate times. But there wasn't three separate times. It was one incident in which he had to fire on multiple people to defend himself. See, there is a difference between going out there, being attacked, having to defend yourself, going to another area, being attacked again, and defending yourself, and a third area, and being attacked again and defending yourself. At that point, yes, if that were the case, self-defense would become kind of hard to establish, although not necessarily impossible, depending on the situation. But what really happened is that Kyle Rittenhouse was attacked and he had to defend himself and he kept being chased by the same people having to defend himself in order to get away and stop them attacking him so he could get away. You know, so it was all one instance involving numerous attackers at once, three of whom he had to shoot in order to try and stop the attack so that he could get away. So you understand that this whole three separate instances of self-defense, no, it was one instance of self-defense involving numerous attackers. So there's that false narrative that they are trying to push, you know, that he was just going around and he had to def defend himself repeatedly. Come on. What's the believability in that? No, one instance involving numerous attackers that went on for a long period of time, chasing after him. Even after he had shot the first person, 
they still continued chasing after him, attacking him, hitting him in the head with a skateboard, having their weapons drawn, pointed over his head, advancing on Kyle. So there wasn't three separate instances. It was one. Second false narrative pushed in that clip is that there were a bunch of other people who were armed and they didn't discharge their weapon. While there may be a grain of truth to the fact that there were a lot of people who were armed that didn't discharge their weapons, the people who did attack Kyle were armed and did discharge their weapon. It was already proven through the video evidence and testimony in the court where it was proven that it was the people who were chasing after and attacking Kyle who fired the first shot. Now, whether they fired into the air just to scare him or they were just bad shots and missed, okay, that part can be debatable. But even just the fact that they withdrew their weapons while they were chasing him, firing them into the air does establish self-defense. And so they want to ignore the fact that the rioters were armed and that the rioters were the ones that fired the first shot, whether Adam or just up in the air to scare him. They want you to ignore the evidence that came out at trial about that. So you understand the misinformation. They're saying, well, there was a lot of people who were armed that didn't fire their shots. True, but the people who did attack Kyle were armed and did fire shots. And it wasn't three instances. It was one instance involving numerous attackers. Right? And then at the end, trying to, them trying to go off and say that the prosecution tried to admit evidence that made the self-defense claim not plausible. They're talking about uh, how the prosecutor tried to inject irrelevant evidence that the judge had already determined could not be admissible in court because they're talking about some statement Kyle made like weeks and weeks ago, you know, on, you know, of some sort of video or social media about how he wish he had the ability to, you know, defend against the rioters. You know, he didn't even have access to a gun at that particular point in time. None of the events in Kenosha had even started. And so they're trying to talk about him just kind of talking around and talking about what he wished he had the ability to do, uh, like just the ability to stop him. He didn't not say anything about, you know, wanting to kill him or wanting to, you know, uh, really injure them. but. He just wished he had the ability to defend against violent rioters and looters, taking a look at things that were going on in other parts of the country. Now, this was weeks you know, to well over a month prior to anything breaking out in Kenosha. So it was irrelevant. He was talking about you know, a hypothetical uh, you know, wish about you know, an event that was happening not where he was, but in other parts of the country. And what he says he wish he could do to defend against violent rioters and looters is irrelevant to what happened in Kenosha because, first off, the people at the time that they attacked him, you know, he wasn't at, you know, a store where that was being looted. You know, so he was talking about what he wished he could do in one situation and then weeks to over a month later, another situation breaks out. And they're trying to say that, oh, because he said something about, you know, one situation, it makes it unplausible for self-defense in another situation. But while at the same time trying to negate the fact that 
he was that Kyle was the one being attacked by the mob. You know, so it, the level of dishonesty by the media is really over the top. And the fact that the evidence keeps debunking their narrative and yet they keep trying to push the narrative or play these word games in order to try and manipulate the audience is really astonishing. And they can't figure out why they don't have any credibility left. Now, of course, the worst, the worst of the worst is CNN. CNN, you know, so what do you do when your narrative about Kyle Rittenhouse has completely fallen apart? Everything that you claim was debunked by the evidence and the testimony. What do you do in that situation? Well, you attack the judge. You tried to defend a prosecutor that is trying to engage in actions to deliberately cause a mistrial so he can get another jury and another shot at this. Right? And so they defend the disgraceful actions of the prosecutor and attack the judge. Take a listen. Bakar, I wonder what you think of this. I will say the jury wasn't there. And, you know, as, as a layperson, I was surprised to hear today from a judge on our program as well as a lawyer who said this kind of thing does happen at times. It's not totally out of the blue. But I wonder what you thought about this moment in this high-profile trial. Yeah, no, I got my behind handed to me about two weeks ago in a federal sentencing where basically I was told to uh, sit down and, uh, you know, kind of stop digging. So I, this happens like this back and forth does happen when you are in a, a trial. However, you have to look at the totality of this judge's actions. You have to look at the rulings that he's made. And, you know, I, I, I said it yesterday and I'll be extremely blunt. It appears that this judge is auditioning for the cameras and looking for his next gig on Fox News or, or OWN or whatever, OAN or whatever it is. I mean, this judge is going beyond the pale um, and, and trying to show off for the country his conservative credentials or whatever it may be. And he's shielding Cal Rittenhouse, treating him as if he's a child. And so I think that the behavior of the judge in totality is the problem. And the prosecution did, I mean, the prosecutor is a habitual line stepper. I have, I have noticed that uh, during this trial. And he did step on that line where you get into that constitutional danger zone by going into the lack of communication or, or Cal remaining silent after the arrest. The problem with that, with this judge, is that he's attempting to hang his hat on anything to protect Kyle. And so I would not be surprised, although I think it would be wrong to do, I would not be surprised if he get granted the mistrial without the ability to retry Cal Rittenhouse for these crimes. It's as if he wants to do that. That would be problematic for all of us. I think that's a problem for the judge. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't be surprised. Now, it's really hard to be able to determine where to start with that clip. So the person who is speaking is admitting that this type of back and forth between a judge and a prosecutor or a judge and a defense attorney is very normal. In fact, it's so normal, it just happened to him recently in a case that he was involved in. And then he goes off to talk about how the prosecutor is a line stepper and has gone over the line on multiple occasions, but then goes off and says, but if the judge is upset about a prosecutor violating all court rulings and violating or stepping over or crossing the line, on, on the constitutional restrictions, violating the Constitution, uh, such as trying to comment on Kyle Rittenhouse's post-arrest silence, you know, trying to make it seem like the Fifth Amendment? You invoke the Fifth Amendment? Wow, that must mean you're guilty. You know, the fact that the judge would be upset that the prosecutor just ignored the court's rulings is somehow 
over the line that you know this line stepper, a prosecutor can cross over the line all he wants, and the judge is not supposed to say or do anything about it. I mean, that is just really kind of funny. So they admit that the prosecutor has done a lot of things wrong, has violated a lot of stuff, and that back and forth between judges and attorneys are normal. But the fact that in this particular case, the judge would be outraged on, about the prosecutor crossing lines that he knows should not be crossed and just ignoring the court's rulings on certain issues. The judge shouldn't be upset about that. The judge shouldn't, you know, rip into the prosecutor for engaging in unethical and borderline illegal conduct. No. So, you know, if the judge isn't just throwing out all constitutional protections, if the judge isn't just letting the prosecutor engaged in every underhanded, despicable behavior a lawyer can or a prosecutor can engage in, if he doesn't just let him do it, because this isn't a trial about facts for the media, this is a trial of public opinion, a political prosecution. So if the judge doesn't let the prosecutor railroad this trial and violate any rules, any norms, any constitutional law in the process, well, that judge must be trying to interview or audition for Fox News. You get that? The idea that the judge would actually, you know, make sure that the lawyers stay within the bounds of the laws is a foreign concept to those on CNN. Wow. I mean, I'm really at a loss of how CNN could keep a straight face during that segment. It's like, wait a minute. Are you telling me a judge shouldn't make sure that the prosecutor stays within the bounds of the law and within the bounds of the court's rulings? Huh. Yeah. Judge shouldn't be upset about a rogue prosecutor. Wow. Yeah, but that is the attack. So when Kyle Rittenhouse is found not guilty, acquitted by the jury, the narrative will be, well, it was because of a rogue judge, a rogue judge who was auditioning for Fox News, stepping in to protect Kyle Rittenhouse at every opportunity. You know, some of them even trying to go off and claim that the judge is a third lawyer in the case. Unbelievable. Now, of course, you take that with Fox News's cover and some of the things that they have pointed out, and you realize that Fox News and Newsmax, and I, I've never watched OAN, I will just assume that they have a degree of accuracy above that of the left-wing medium, but you compare that to actual coverage based off of fact. And there was one line here in one of the uh, Fox News segments that was that was great. That really summed up this trial, or at least summed up the prosecutor in this trial. You know, earlier the prosecutor uh, referred to. Uh, the fact that Rittenhouse had remained silent after his arrest. That is a very serious violation. It could still end up uh, in this whole case being dismissed. Mm -hmm. And now he's drilling down on a witness uh, to suggest that because he got an attorney that somehow goes to his credibility. That, that's pretty outrageous. Jonathan, Jackie Heinrich here, you know, as, as you just referred to, that judge, uh, Bruce Schroeder, has admonished the prosecutor a number of times, uh, twice yesterday in pretty heated exchanges and then a little bit just now that we heard. What impact could this have 
on the jury if the, um, the, the prosecutor is seen as disrespecting the court? Well, quite frankly, I don't see uh, any real prosecutorial strategy here. It is, they are showing all the control of a falling locomotive. In this instance, Fox News is absolutely correct, right on the money. The prosecution has no case, and it's a complete train wreck. Now, anybody who's watched the case, watched the testimony, looked at the evidence that was presented, nobody who's done that believes anything that the left-wing media is trying to push, whether that's CNN or MSNBC or NBC or, you know, CBSN. You know, take all the left-wing media. No one believes anything that they are pushing about this case if they had viewed the actual trial. Now, of course, they're trying to rely on the idea that their audience hasn't bothered to watch the trial, hasn't bothered to watch the evidence. So here's what's going on. The left-wing media knows that Kyle Rittenhouse is going to be found not guilty if the jury does this based off of the evidence and the testimony that has been provided, or that there is going to be a mistrial based off of the actions and conducts of the prosecutor. And so what they are trying to do here with their, you know, disinformation campaign, you know, with their word manipulation and their attacks on the judge and everything else that goes towards their dishonesty in this particular case, they are trying to go off and set up an excuse for why Kyle Rittenhouse was found not guilty, an excuse other than the fact that all the evidence and testimony backs up what Kyle Rittenhouse did was self-defense and the entire left-wing media was complete crap. They're trying to find another excuse. And of course, we know what they're going to come up with, that this is an example of systemic racism in the courts where, you know, if you're white, you'll be let off on, on anything, you know, and they'll come up with a narrative about how this is about you know, being that right-wingers now have the right to just mow down a bunch of leftists. You know, they're trying to come up with that narrative. Now, what the left is hoping is that Kyle Rittenhouse will be found guilty. And so, therefore, it sets up a precedent that whenever the left decides that they don't like something and starts violently rioting and engaging in arson and acts of domestic terrorism, that they have an unabridged right to do so. And anybody who would dare to defend themselves, their community, their property, well, that is illegal. They're trying to set it up to make it a criminal offense to defend yourself from violent left-wing extremists. That if, that if they go on the rampage, you're supposed to just roll over and take the beating. You're supposed to accept the idea that they can kill you at any time without consequences. It's a crime to defend yourself. That's what the left is trying to go with here. So because that is not going well for the left, they're trying to set up an excuse and a narrative for why, despite their claims, Kyle Rittenhouse is going to be found not guilty. And of course, in that, they're trying to purposely stoke racial tensions, and they're trying to set up another riot. They're trying to set up and incite more violence, because the reason why the left-wing media is so disgraceful and pr promote so much disinformation and misinformation regarding police shooting. Now, every once in a while, they get one right, just like a blind squirrel will find a nut once in a while. 
But for the most part, they lie to their audience. Why? Because they want to stoke the violence. They want to incite violence. Why? Because violence means rating. Ratings means advertisers, and advertisers mean profit. So they want to be able to continue to incite the violence. And so as they have profited from the previous violence and riots that they have incited, they're trying to set up the next riot from which they can profit off. And so that's why they continue to spin and try to set up this narrative. All right, so let's take a look at uh, another couple of situations here. You know, so moving on from the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, this is absolutely disgraceful. What is going on here? The Biden administration, oh, you know, you thought they had crossed the line and engaged in some of the most outrageous, dishonorable conduct before? Wait until you find out what new information we have found out now. So you remember that disastrous pullout of Afghanistan that was that destabilized the entire country, allowed the Taliban to retake the country, take billions of dollars worth of military equipment, you know, go on, you know, a murderous rampage there for a little bit and abandoning Americans in Afghanistan. Well, we found out more information here about some of the Americans that the Biden administration abandoned in Afghanistan and just and basically gave to the Taliban as hostages. They were the family members of our armed service members. That's right. You know, some of the the family members of our military was abandoned and left behind in Afghanistan by this disgraceful administration. So the article from just the news reads, Pentagon says a number of family members of U.S. troops left in Afghanistan is now they want to downplay it as saying most likely in the dozens. Well, (laughs) in the dozens, plural. So we don't know how many dozens. The U.S. military withdrawal from Afghanistan on August 30th. Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby was asked on Wednesday for the number of immediate family members of U.S. service members still in Afghanistan. Immediate family members. We're talking about the spouses and children of our military members being left in Afghanistan to the brutal whims of the Taliban and being abandoned deliberately by Biden. This is a huge betrayal, you know, and you wonder what the military must be thinking, knowing that the current administration basically just handed their family over to the Taliban to be surrendered or to be used as hostages or to just be slaughtered at the whim of the Taliban. What is the military members thinking about this? All while Biden is also wanting the military to be used as lab rats. This is a huge betrayal. And this alone, I mean, we talk so much here about, you know, impeachment for Joe Biden. I mean, uh, how many, I would say this is right up there with all the other impeachable offenses for Joe Biden. This is an absolute disgusting disgrace. And the media is just like, "Eh, well, no, we don't care. We don't care. We're not really going to do much about it, you know, because we got to try and protect Joe Biden, no matter how outrageous his actions are. (sighs) All right. Now, there was another clip here. Now, I got to move on before I just lose it. But there was another clip here, here about you know, a White House official and something they slipped up while talking about the inflation and the Build Back Better plan. So go ahead, take a listen and see if you catch it. 
See if you catch the slip of the tongue here. So, Nancy, President Biden touted the bipartisan infrastructure deal yesterday, and he insisted that investing in roads, bridges, and ports will make it easier for companies to get goods to consumers. But how long will that take? Uh, it's going to take long enough that it may help with the next inflation spike, but it's probably not going to help with this one. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Because what they just admitted there was astonishing, that as bad as inflation has been, we haven't seen the end of it. That is what they had just admitted to in that clip. They're talking about inflation going on in cycle, that what they are doing is going to cause inflation to be even worse. And of course, it's going to get worse because they continue to print massive amount of money, destroying the value of the currency. I mean, it's even so bad that you know, a former Obama advisor is talking about Bidenflation is real and it's spectacular, right? And it is directly tied to Biden's stimulus. So a former Obama economic advisor has already come out and saying, yeah, inflation is bad and it has to do with this spending policies and agenda of the Biden administration. We didn't see inflation like this under Trump, but we're seeing it under Biden. Why? Because they printed so much money passing multiple stimulus packages this year and going off and paying people not to go to work. And so that is causing inflation to get out of control. And then they just decided that they are going to pass multi-trillion dollar spending bills with the infrastructure and the Build Back Better plan, which luckily the Build Back Better plan hasn't been passed yet. But their actions of out-of-control spending is causing inflation to skyrocket. And the narrative that they are trying to set up for the upcoming next rounds of inflationary cycles is that, oh, yes, the Build Back Better plan okay, or, the reckon, or the infrastructure bill, it will help to curb this inflationary, uh, not this inflationary cycle, but the next inflationary cycle is what they are trying to say. So. Then the question becomes, well, when is this inflationary cycle going to be over? It will go on as long as they need it to. And then when things, you know, settle down, you know, maybe because they might stop spending so much money, then as inflation starts to ease up and level off, then they'll claim, oh, see, the Build Back Better plan or the infrastructure bill, it has finally kicked in and inflation is now under control. And so, no, the next cycle of, of inflation is not going to be nearly as bad. It's going to be, you know, much easier. It's not going to be as big, you know. So once inflation finally gets around to stopping, which I don't know if there actually is going to be an end to it under the Biden administration with all of the spending that they are engaged in, or, or I can see this being the narrative, the inflationary cycle, you know, that the infrastructure bill will curb the next cycle of inflation. Well, the current cycle will probably last all the way to January 2023. And then when the Republicans are in full control of the House and Senate, you know, maybe even supermajority control, and they put their boot down and ending all of the out of control spending, which is what will start curbing the inflation, you know, the skyrocketing inflation. Then the Biden administration will come back and take credit for the Republicans cutting the spending and take credit as if that was the result of the infrastructure bill. So, But let's just take this for what it is. They're already admitting that 
inflation is not going to stop and that it might ease up, you know, for a little bit and then we'll hit another cycle of massive inflation. <sighs> now, I get that the media is starting to take a look at the Biden administration and going, yeah, this is a complete failure. This isn't going to go uh, very well at all. Biden has no reelection attempt or uh, ability. So knowing that Biden has no reelection prospects and knowing that Kamala Harris has no ability to win in 2024 either, they're just taking a look at this as, okay, this presidency is pretty much already dead. It's already over. You know, so knowing that they don't have any reelection prospect, they have nothing to lose going all in on the wildest, craziest, dumbest of liberal ideas. And then they can just put up a new nominee in 2024 and go, well, you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, have done or supported anything Biden did. Is just, oh man, the stupid, you know, but I can see after, you know, Biden, Trump's 2024 prospect of getting a second term, you know, and people taking a look at, well, you know, under Trump, everything was actually going well. I mean, yeah, the media, you know, was, you know, overreacting and going to insane levels of insanity to try and go after him. But as far as the economy, global stability, and all of the things that actually mattered, uh, yeah, I want to go back to Trump. I want the Trump economy back. After seeing the Biden economy and the Democrats' economy, I want the Trump economy back. I can see that. Now, of course, because of all of the high inflation uh, that is going on, you know, and after the uh, infrastructure bill being passed and after the recent elections, you know, you can see uh, a lot of Democrats that are up for re-election, especially in the House that are in purple states, you know, swing states, or managed to get elected as a Democrat in a red state, are looking at this and going, yeah, you know, that, that, that Build Back Better plan that you're proposing, which, you know, is horribly misnamed because it's not going to build anything back better. It's making everything worse. I'm not going to go, I'm not actually going to support that. And Manchin is sticking to his guns because I believe Manchin wants to be able to get reelected. So he can't go along with all this crazy BS and hope to get reelected. So he's like, you know what? I'm not going to go along with this whole massive spending agenda of your so-called Build Back Better plan, which has prompted uh, Biden's Treasury nominee to say she's disappointed in Manchin. He's supposed to be on the Democrat side. So you remember when, during the Trump administration, you had a bunch of uh, Rhino Republicans go out and trash Trump and try to side with the Democrats on the Trump Russia collusion hoax or, you know, just go after Trump because, well, Trump was actually working for the people, not the swamp. And, you know, and the media would come out there and go, look at these Republicans. They're putting country over party. We should celebrate them. Well, no, they're putting the swamp over the benefit of the country is what they were doing. But you notice they don't come up with that narrative of, country over party when it comes to Joe Manchin, who, you know, I'm surprised he has held out as long as he has, you know, and we'll see if he continues to hold out. But when he decides to put country over party, oh no, he's not supposed to do that. He's supposed to, you know, be a Democrat and just go along with anything the Democrats want to do. Now it's, we'll see for sure what happens with Manchin when it comes down to actually voting on not just what he is saying while not having to take a vote. 
But when it comes down to it, and he must cast a vote one way or the other, we'll see which way he votes. And that will determine wh- you know, what type of person he is, whether there is still at least one, maybe two sane people left in the Democrat Party that, and the re- where the rest of them have completely lost their minds, or whether Manchin is just full of crap. Okay, got another thing here. So the Biden administration is still trying to push their unconstitutional vaccine mandate. And so there's a lot of people, you know, border patrol agents that are saying, no, I'm not going to take this. You, you know, this is not constitutional. You can't require this. And so what they are now doing is coming up with flow charts. And this was um, uncovered. Uh, I believe it was a Fox News clip. I have the clip. I'm just not going to play it uh, because it doesn't translate well to audio. It's more of something that you would need to see visually. But basically, they came out with a flow chart that says Border Patrol agents who don't take the vaccine and their request for you know, a, an exception or an exemption, if that gets denied, what happens? Well, they go to re-education centers. So the Democrats are already trying to set up re-education camps for anyone opposed to their illegal, unconstitutional vaccine mandate, as well as who knows what else they plan to put people in, quote, re-education camps. Now, I had um, seen here an article about uh, what the Florida legislature is thinking about doing, and it's very interesting. Now, I would have to do a lot more research to see whether or not they can actually do this, because I'm not a legal expert. I don't know whether they can, but Basically, what they were saying is, okay, you know what? OSHA wants to go on and, you know, uh, try and, you know, push forth this unconstitutional vaccine mandate down on the people. Okay, we're just going to pass a law that, you know, uh, and have Florida leave OSHA. So apparently, you know, states can either voluntarily be part of OSHA for their workforce safety or they can create their own. Now, a lot of them have just decided to go with OSHA you know, to kind of cut down on their budgets and their spending. But apparently, uh, and like I said, I'll have to see, you know, what the actual laws are on this. But as far as the Florida legislature is concerned, they can vote to leave OSHA. And therefore, OSHA requirements and regulations would not apply in the state of Florida, including the vaccine mandate. Now, there are some people saying, yeah, well, okay, the states have the ability to do this, but what they put into their state program has to be equivalent, you know, as far as effectiveness to what's in, you know, the federal regulations. So, you know, while, while they may leave, they basically would still have to implement a vaccine mandate through their state program. Now, but the states could go off and point out that they have absolutely no plans to prosecute under that. So, they could just say, okay, okay, you want to do this? Well, we're going to provide so many exemptions that there was absolutely zero requirements to implement this. So even if they ended up having to put in you know, some sort of vaccine mandate, they could put in all the exemptions that they want, exemptions that are automatic to be approved if applied for, thus making any uh, mandate completely irrelevant, useless, and unenforceable. So, I mean, there are ways to get around this, and the Florida legislature seems to be having a great way, or I figured out the best way to do so. And then, and one last thing here. So, the Republicans and the House Ways and Means Committee, 
are asking why the IRS is targeting political views again. So if you remember back during the Obama administration, the IRS was used to target uh, conservative groups to deny them tax-exempt status so that they wouldn't be able to participate in elections and political action committees and so forth. And that was supposed to have stopped. Remember, it's just a few people at the bottom. But apparently the IRS is once again engaged in targeting organizations based off of their perception of that organization's political views. And this had come up about a Texas-based Christian Engage encourages, um, encourages Christians to become involved in the political process. Now, they don't point out you know, or tell you what political party to vote for or what political party to agree with or disagree with, but they do encourage you to get more involved in politics, more involved in voting. Now, the IRS is looking at this and going, well, it's a religious organization and Christianity is associated with Republican conservatives. So they are, so they shouldn't get tax exempt status. Now, eventually after the outrage, they did get approved for their tax exempt status and people going off and going, oh yeah. So Democrats are admitting that they have no Christian values or beliefs whatsoever, which makes you wonder about why Joe Biden is still trying to claim to be a Catholic, <laughs> you know? having no actual fidelity to the religion or belief in any of its teaching. So we can already start seeing here um, with this story about the IRS once again starting to target people and groups based off of their political views, along with the FBI targeting parents going to you know, uh, school board meetings, outraged at what the school is trying to push on to their kids. And this on top of the FBI seeming like they believe that they are the tool of the DNC to be wielded against their political opponents. And the FCC nominee saying that she believes that essentially that conservatives must be removed from the airwaves, from broadcast, because in her mind, not pushing the Democrat uh, narrative is a danger to democracy. You see all of this along with all of the high inflation, and you understand exactly where we are headed the full authoritarian nature of the Democrat Party. All right, I'm going to go ahead and end the show right there. I want to thank you so much for listening in. I very much appreciate it. Uh, don't forget to leave me a rating and review. Share this around anywhere free speech is still allowed. Thank you so much, and I will be back again soon.